Act Five of The Double Dealer by William Congreve. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act Five, Scene One Lady Touchwood and Maskwell. Was not lucky? Lucky? Fortune is your own and tis her interest so to be by heaven i believe you can control her power and she fears it though chance brought my lord twas your own art that turned it to advantage tis true it might have been my ruin but yonder's my lord i believe he's coming to find you i'll not be seen scene two maskwell alone so i durst not own my introducing my lord though it succeeded well for her for she would have suspected a design which i should have been puzzled to excuse my lord is thoughtful i'll be so too yet he shall know my thoughts or think he does scene three to him lord touchwood what have i done oh talking to himself twas honest and shall i be rewarded for it no twas honest therefore i shan't nay rather therefore i ought not for it rewards itself lord touchwood aside and equal virtue but should it be known then i have lost a friend he was an ill man, and I have gained, for half myself I lent him, and that I have recalled. So I have served myself, and what is yet better, I have served a worthy lord to whom I owe myself. Lord Touchwood aside. Excellent man. Yet I am wretched. Oh, there is a secret burns within this breast which should it once blaze forth would ruin all consume my honest character and brand me with the name of villain <laughs> why do i love yet heaven and my waking conscience are my witnesses i never gave one working thought offent which might discover that i loved nor ever must no let it prey upon my heart, for I would rather die than seem once, barely seem dishonest. Oh, should it once be known, I love fair Cynthia, all this that I have done would look like rival's malice, false friendship to my lord, and base self-interest. Let me perish first, and from this hour avoid all sight and speech, and if i can all thought of that pernicious beauty ha but what is my distraction doing i am wildly talking to myself and some ill chance might have directed malicious ears this way seems to start seeing my lord start not let guilty and dishonest souls start at the revelation of their thoughts but be thou fixed as in thy virtue i am confounded 
and beg your lordship's pardon for those free discourses which i have had with myself come i beg your pardon that i overheard you and yet it shall not need honest maskwell thy and my good genius led me hither mine in that i have discovered so much manly virtue thine in that thou shalt have due reward for all thy worth give me thy hand my nephew is the alone remaining branch of all our ancient family him i thus blow away and constitute thee in his room to be my heir now heaven forbid no more i have resolved the writings are already drawn and wanted nothing but to be signed and have his name inserted yours will fill the blank as well i have no reply let me command this time for tis the last in which i will assume authority hereafter you shall rule where i have power i humbly would petition is it for yourself maskwell pauses i'll hear of not for anybody else then witness heaven for me this wealth and honour was not of my seeking nor would i build my fortune on another's ruin i had but one desire thou shalt enjoy it if all i'm worth in wealth or interest can purchase cynthia she is thine i'm sure sir paul's consent will follow fortune i'll quickly show him which way that is going you oppress me with bounty my gratitude is weak and shrinks beneath the weight and cannot rise to thank you what enjoy my love forgive the transports of a blessing so unexpected so unhoped for so unthought of i will confirm it and rejoice with thee scene four maskwell alone this is prosperous indeed why let him find me out a villain settled in possession of a fair estate and full fruition of my love i'll bear the railings of a losing gamester but should he find me out before tis dangerous to delay let me think should my lordship proceed to treat openly of my marriage with cynthia all must be discovered and mellifont can be no longer blinded it must not be nay should my lady know it i then were fine work indeed her fury would spare nothing though she involved herself in ruin no it must be by stratagem i must deceive mellifont once more and get my lord to consent to my private management he comes opportunely nor will i in my old way discover the whole and real truth of the matter to him that he may not suspect one word on it no mask like open truth to cover lies as to go naked is the best disguise scene five to him mellifont oh maskwell what hopes i am confounded in a maze of thoughts each leading into one another and all ending in perplexity my uncle will not see nor hear me no matter sir don't trouble your head all's in my power how 
for heaven's sake little do you think that your aunt has kept her word how the devil she wrought my lord into this dotage i know not but he's gone to sir paul about my marriage with cynthia and has appointed me his heir the devil he has what's to be done i have it it must be by stratagem for it's in vain to make application to him i think i have that in my head that cannot fail where's cynthia in the garden let us go and consult her my life for yours i cheat my lord scene six lord touchwood lady touchwood masquerel your heir and marry cynthia i cannot do too much for so much merit but this is a thing of too great moment to be so suddenly resolved why cynthia why must he be married is there not reward enough in raising his low fortune but he must mix his blood with mine and wed my niece how know you that my brother will consent or she nay he himself perhaps may have affections otherwhere no i am convinced he loves her masquer loves cynthia impossible i tell you he confessed it to me lady touchwood aside confusion how's this his humility long stifled in passion and his love and mellifont would have made him still conceal it but by encouragement i wrung the secret from him and know he's no way to be rewarded but in her i'll defer my farther proceedings in it till you have considered it but remember how we are both indebted to him scene seven lady touchwood alone both indebted to him yes we are both indebted to him if you knew all villain oh i am wild with this surprise of treachery it is impossible it cannot be he loves cynthia what have i been bored to his designs his property only a baiting place now i see what made him false to mellifont shame and distraction i cannot bear it oh what woman can bear to be a property to be kindled to a flame only to light him to another's arms oh that i were fire indeed that i might burn the vile traitor what shall i do how shall i think i cannot think all my designs are lost my love unsated my revenge unfinished and fresh cause of fury from unthought of plagues scene eight to her sir paul madam sister my lady sister did you see my lady my wife oh torture gads but i can't find her high nor low where can she be think you where she's serving you as all your sex ought to be served making you a beast don't you know you're a fool brother a fool <laughs> you're merry no no not i i know no such matter why then you don't know half your happiness that's a jest with all my heart faith and troth but harkee my lord told me something of a revolution of things i don't know what to make on it gads but i must consult my wife 
he talks of disinheriting his nephew and i don't know what look you sister i must know what my girl has to trust to or not a syllable of a wedding gads bud to show you that i am not a fool hear me consent to the breaking off this marriage and the promoting any other without consulting me and i'll renounce all blood all relation and concern with you for ever nay i'll be your enemy and pursue you to destruction i'll tear your eyes out and tread you under my feet why what's the matter now good lord what's all this for Boo! here's a joke indeed why where's my wife with careless in the close arbour he may want you by this time as much as you want her oh if she be with mr careless tis well enough fool sot insensible ox but remember what i said to you or you had better eat your own horns by this light you had you're a passionate woman gadsbud but to say truth all our family are caloric I'm the only peaceable person amongst them. Scene 9. Melifont, Maskwell, and Cynthia. I know no other way but this he has proposed, if you have love enough to run the venture. I don't know whether I have love enough, but I find I have obstinacy enough to pursue whatever I have once resolved, and a true female courage to oppose anything that resists my will, though to reason itself. That's right well i'll secure the writings and run the hazard along with you but how can the coach and six horses be got ready without suspicion leave it to my care that shall be so far from being suspected that it shall be got ready by my lord's own order how why i intend to tell my lord the whole matter of our contrivance that's my way i don't understand you why i'll tell my lord i laid this plot with you on purpose to betray you and that which put me upon it was the finding it impossible to gain the lady any other way but in the hopes of her marrying you so so why so while you're busied in making yourself ready i'll wheedle her into the coach and instead of you borrow my lord's chaplain and so run away with her myself oh i conceive you you'll tell him so tell him so i why you don't think i mean to do so no no <laughs> i dare swear thou wilt not therefore for our further security i would have you disguised like a parson that if my lord should have curiosity to peep he may not discover you in the coach but think the cheat is carried on as he would have it excellent maskwell thou wert certainly meant for a statesman or a jesuit but thou art too honest for one and too pious for the other well get yourself ready and meet me in half an hour yonder in my lady's dressing-room go by the back stairs and so we may slip down without being observed i'll send the chaplain to you with his robes i have made him my own and ordered him to meet us to-morrow morning at st albans 
there we will sum up this account to all our satisfactions should i begin to thank or praise thee i should waste the little time we have scene ten cynthia maskwell madam you will be ready i will be punctual to the minute going stay i have a doubt upon second thoughts we had better meet in the chaplain's chamber here the corner chamber at this end of the gallery there is a back way into it so that you need not come through this door and a pair of private stairs leading down to the stables it will be more convenient i am guided by you but melifont will mistake no no i'll after him immediately and tell him i will not fail scene eleven maskwell alone why qui vult disipi disipiator tis no fault of mine i have told em in plain terms how easy tis for me to cheat em and if they will not hear the serpent's hiss they must be stung into experience and future caution now to prepare my lord to consent to this but first i must instruct my little levite there is no plot public or private that can expect to prosper without one of them has a finger in it he promised me to be within at this hour mr saygrace mr saygrace goes to the chamber door and knocks scene twelve maskwell saygrace saygrace looking out sweet sir i will but pen the last line of an acrostic and be with you in the twinkling of an ejaculation in the pronouncing of an amen or before you can nay good mr saygrace do not prolong the time by describing to me the shortness of your stay rather if you please defer the finishing of your wit and let us talk about our business it shall be tithes in your way saygrace enters you shall prevail i would break off in the middle of a sermon to do you a pleasure you could not do me a greater except the business in hand have you provided a habit for mellifont i have they are ready in my chamber together with a clean starched band and a cough good let them be carried to him have you stitched the gown's sleeve that he may be puzzled and waste time in putting it on i have the gown will not be endued without perplexity meet me in half an hour here in your own chamber when cynthia comes let there be no light and do not speak that she may not distinguish you from mellifont i'll urge haste to excuse your silence you have no more commands none your text is short but pither and i will handle it with discretion it will be the first you have so served scene thirteen lord touchwood maskwell 
Sure I was born to be controlled by those I should command. My very slaves will shortly give me rules how I shall govern them. I am concerned to see your lordship discomposed. You have seen my wife lately, or disobliged her? No, my lord. Aside. What can this mean? Then Meliphant has urged somebody to incense her. Something she has heard of you which carries her beyond the bounds of patience. Maskwell, aside. This I feared. Did not your lordship tell her of the honours you designed me? Yes. Tis that. You know my lady has a high spirit. She thinks I am unworthy. Unworthy. Tis an ignorant pride in her to think so. Honesty to me is true nobility. However, tis my will it shall be so, and that should be convincing to her as much as reason. By heaven, I'll not be wife-ridden. Were it possible, I should be done this night. Maskwell aside. By heaven, he meets my wishes. Few things are impossible to willing minds. Instruct me how this may be done. You shall see I want no inclination. I had laid a small design for tomorrow, as love will be inventing, which I thought to communicate to your lordship, but it may as well be done to-night. Ah, here's company. Uh, come this way and tell me. Scene 14. Careless and Cynthia. Is not that he now gone out with my lord? Yes. By heaven, there's treachery. The confusion that I saw your father in, my lady Touchwood's passion, with what imperfectly I overheard between my lord and her, confirm me in my fears. Where's Melifont? Here he comes. Scene 15. To them, Melifont. Did Maskwell tell you anything of the chaplain's chamber? No. My dear, will you get ready? The things are all in my chamber. I want nothing but the habit. You are betrayed, and Maskwell is the villain I always thought him. When you were gone, he said his mind was changed, and bid me meet him in the chaplain's room, pretending immediately to follow you and give you notice. How? There's Sagrace tripping by with a bundle under his arm. It cannot be ignorant that Maskwell means to use his chamber. Let's follow and examine him. Tis loss of time. I cannot think him false. Scene 16. Cynthia, Lord Touchwood. My lord musing. He has quick invention, if this were suddenly designed. Yet he says he had prepared my chaplain already. How's this? Now I fear indeed. Cynthia here? Alone, fair cousin, and melancholy? Your lordship was thoughtful. My thoughts were on serious business, not worth your hearing. Mine were on treachery concerning you, and may be worth your hearing. <laughs> treachery concerning me? Pray, be plain. Hark, what noise! Maskwell within. Will you not hear me? Lady Touchwood within. No, monster, traitor, no! My lady and Maskwell, this may be lucky... My lord, let me entreat you stand behind this screen and listen. Perhaps this chance may give you proof of what you ne'er could have believed from my suspicions. Scene 17. 
Lady Touchwood with a dagger. Maskwell, Cynthia and Lord Touchwood absconded, listening. You want but leisure to invent fresh falsehood, and soothe me to a fond belief of all your fictions. But I will stab the lie that's forming in your heart, and see the sin in pity to your soul. Strike, then, since you will have it so. Ha! A steady villain to the last. Come, why do you dally with me thus? Thy stubborn temper shocks me, and you knew it would. This is cunning all, and not courage. No, I know thee well, but thou shalt miss thy aim. Ha! 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 Do you mock my rage? Then this shall punish your fond, rash contempt. Again, smile! Goes to strike. And such a smile as speaks in ambiguity. Ten thousand meanings lurk in each corner of that various face. Oh, that they were written in thy heart, that I with this might lay thee open to my sight! But then twill be too late to know. Thou hast, thou hast found the only way to turn my rage. Too well thou knowest my jealous soul could never bear uncertainty. Speak, then, and tell me. Yet you are silent. Oh, I am wildered in all passions. But thus my anger melts. <laughs> here take this poniard for my very spirits faint and i want strength to hold it thou hast disarmed my soul gives the dagger amazement shakes me where will this end so tis well let your wild fury have a vent and when you have temper tell me now now, now I am calm, and can hear you. Maskwell, aside. Thanks, my invention, and now I have it for you. First tell me what urged you to this violence, for your passion broke in such imperfect terms, that yet I am to learn the cause. My lord himself surprised me with the news you were to marry Cynthia, that you had owned our love to him, and his indulgence would assist you to attain your ends. How, my lord? Pray, forbear all resentments for a while, and let us hear the rest. I grant you in appearance all is true. I seemed consenting to my lord, nay, transported with the blessing. But could you think that I, who had been happy in your loved embraces, could ever be fond of an inferior slavery ah oh poison to my ears what do i hear nay good my lord forbear resentments let us hear it out yes i will contain though i could burst i that had wantoned in the rich circle of your world of love could be confined within the puny province of a girl no yet though i dote on each last favour more than all the rest though i would give a limb for every look you cheaply throw away on any object of your love yet so far i prize your pleasures over my own that all this seeming plot that i have laid has been to gratify your taste and cheat the world 
to prove a faithful rogue to you. If this were true, but how can it be? I have so contrived that Melifont will presently, in the chaplain's habit, wait for Cynthia in your dressing-room. But I have put the change upon her, that she may be other where employed. Do you procure her nightgown, and with your hoods tied over your face, meet him in her stead? You may go privately by the back stairs, and, unperceived, there you may propose to reinstate him in his uncle's favour, if he'll comply with your desires. His case is desperate, and I believe he'll yield to any conditions. If not here, take this. You may employ it better than in the heart of one who is nothing when not yours. Gives the dagger. Thou canst deceive everybody. Nay, thou hast deceived me, but tis as I would wish. Trusty villain, I could worship thee. No more, it wants but a few minutes of the time, and Melophon's love will carry him there before his hour. I go, I fly, incomparable Masquell. Scene 18. Masquell, Cynthia, Lord Touchwood. So this was a pinch indeed. My invention was upon the rack, and made discovery of her last plot. I hope Cynthia and my chaplain will be ready. I'll prepare for the expedition. Scene 19. Cynthia and Lord Touchwood. Now, my lord. Astonishment binds up my rage. Villainy upon villainy. Heavens, what a long track of dark deceit has this discovered. I am confounded when I look back and want a clue to guide me through the various mazes of unheard-of treachery. My wife! Damnation! My hell! My lord, have patience, and be sensible how great our happiness is that this discovery was not made too late. I thank you, yet it may be still too late, if we don't presently prevent the execution of their plots. Ah, I'll do it. Where's Melvant, my poor injured nephew? How shall I make him ample satisfaction? I dare answer for him. I do him fresh wrong to question his forgiveness, but I know him to be all goodness. Yet my wife, damn her, she'll think to meet him in the dressing-room. Was it not so? And Maskwell will expect you in the chaplain's chamber. For once I'll add my plot, too. Let us haste to find out and inform my nephew, and do you quickly as you can bring all the company into this gallery. I'll expose the strumpet and the villain. Scene 20. Lord Froth and Sir Paul. By heaven, I have slept an age. Sir Paul, what o'clock is't? Past eight on my conscience my lady's is the most inviting couch and a slumber there is the prettiest amusement but where's all the company the company gadsbud i don't know my lord but here's the strangest revolution all turned topsy-turvy 
as I hope for Providence. Oh, heavens, what's the matter? Where's my wife? All turned topsy-turvy as sure as a gun. How do you mean, my wife? The strangest posture of affairs. What's my wife? No, no, I mean the family. Your lady's affairs may be in a very good posture. I saw her go into the garden with Mr. Brisk. How, where, when, what to do? I suppose they have been laying their heads together. How? Nay, only about poetry, I suppose, my lord, uh, making couplets. Couplets? Ah, here they come. Scene 21. To them, Lady Froth Brisk. My lord, your humble servant, Sir Paul, yours, the finest knight. My dear, Mr. Brisk and I have been stargazing, I don't know how long. Does it not tire your ladyship? Are you not weary with looking up? Oh, no, I love it violently. My dear, you're melancholy. No, my dear, I'm but just awake. Snuff some of my spirit of hartshorn. I've some of my own, thank you, dear. Well, I swear, Mr. Brisk, you understood astronomy like an old Egyptian. Not comparably to your ladyship, you are the very Cynthia of the skies and queen of stars. That's because I have no light but what's by reflection from you, who are the sun. Madam, you have eclipsed me quite. Let me perish. I can't answer that. No matter. Harky, shall you and I make an almanac together? With all my soul. Your ladyship has made me the man in it already. I'm so full of the wounds which you have given. Oh, finely taken. I swear now you are even with me. Oh, Parnassus, you have an infinite deal of wit. So he has, Gadsbud, and so has your ladyship. Scene 22. To them, Lady Pliant, Careless, Cynthia. You tell me most surprising things. Bless me, who would ever trust a man? Oh, my heart aches for fear they should be all deceitful alike. You need not fear, madam. You have charms to fix inconstancy itself. Oh, dear, you make me blush. Come, my dear. Shall we take leave of my lord and lady? Go wait upon your lordship presently. Mr. Brisk, my coach shall set you down. A great shriek from the corner of the stage. What's the matter? What's the matter? What's, What's the, the matter? matter? What's the matter? What's the matter? What's the matter? Scene 23. To them, Lady Touchwood runs out affrighted, my lord after her, like a parson. Oh, I'm betrayed. Save me. Help me. Now what evasion, strumpet? Stand off, let me go. Go, and thy own infamy pursue thee. You stare as you were all amazed. I don't wonder it, but too soon you'll know mine and that woman's shame. Scene the last. Lord Touchwood, Lord Froth, Lady Froth, Lady Pliant, Sir Paul, Cynthia, Mellifont, Maskwell. 
Mellifont disguised in a parson's habit and pulling in Maskwell. Nay, by heaven you shall be seen, careless your hand. Do you hold down your head? Yes, I am your chaplain. Look in the face of your injured friend, thou wonder of all falsehood. Are you silent, monster? Good heavens, how I believed and loved this man. Take him hence, for he's a disease to my sight. Secure that manifold villain. Servant sees him. Miracle of ingratitude. This is all very surprising. <laughs> Let me perish. You know, I told you Saturn looked a little more angry than usual. We'll think of punishment at leisure. But let me hasten to do justice in rewarding virtue and wronged innocence. Nephew, I hope I have your pardon. And Cynthia's. We are your lordship's creatures. And be each other's comfort. Let me join your hands. Unwearied nights and wishing days attend you both. Mutual love, lasting help, and circling joys tread round each happy year of your long lives. Let secret villainy from hence be warned, howe'er in private mischiefs are conceived. Torture and shame attend their open birth. Like vipers in the womb, base treachery lies, still gnawing that whence first it did arise. No sooner born but the vile parent dies. Exeunt omnis. Epilogue. Could poets but foresee how plays would take, then they could tell what epilogues to make, whether to thank or blame their audience most. But that late knowledge does much hazard cost. Till dice are thrown, there's nothing won nor lost. So till the thief has stolen, he cannot know whether he shall escape the law or no. But poets run much greater hazards far than they who stand their trials at the bar. The law provides a curb for its own fury, and suffers judges to direct the jury. But in this court what difference does appear, for everyone's both judge and jury here. Nay, and what's worse, an executioner. All have a right and title to some part, each choosing that in which he has most art. The dreadful men of learning all confound, unless the fable's good and moral sound. The visor masks that are in pit and gallery approve or damn the repartee and raillery. The lady critics, who are better read, inquire if characters are nicely bred, if the soft things are penned and spoke with grace. They judge of action, too, and time and place, in which we do not doubt but their discerning, for that's a kind of assignation learning. Bows judge of dress, the witlings judge of songs, the cuckoldom of ancient right to sits belongs. Thus poor poets the favour are denied, even to make exceptions when they're tried. Tis hard that they must every one admit. Methinks I see some faces in the pit, which must of consequence be foes to wit. You who can judge, to sentence may proceed. But though he cannot write, let him be freed, at least from their contempt who cannot read. End of Act 5 End of The Double Dealer by William Congreve